To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the rule of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you're neither hot or neither cold nor hot, sorry. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. To whomever comes, I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord God, you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit wants to say, what, what the Spirit wants to say to us this morning. Father, thank you for the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. Lord, speak to each one of our hearts. Open our hearts to hear. In Jesus' name. Amen. So this is the last church. We've done seven weeks now. And probably this particular church is probably the one that reflects probably the Western culture more than anything else. In the Western world today, this is the church that would be most probably like the West. And there's been a couple of prophetic words come out of the Scripture also and about the church of Ephesus about their love growing cold and about going back to your first love. And this one here is talking about being lukewarm. And the reality is that much of the Western church is lukewarm. And so we need to have ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. Because God has spoken prophetically of this passage and also in the Ephesians. It's come several times and so we need to take heed. Now, all these particular churches, interesting, we've looked at the last, for the last seven weeks or whatever, they're all really wealthy cities, or fairly wealthy, due to the influence of the Roman Empire. Especially it was due to the Roman Empire in the terms of their elaborate and sophisticated road systems that were connected across the Roman Empire, which made travel much easier. And they were, in some ways, a hundred years in advance of any other empire or culture that time. In the era of construction of roads, bridges, and architecture, they were known for their roads and their bridges and their architecture. And so it connected, all of Rome was connected by roads that never really happened before. And so it made a lot of these cities very wealthy because it was easier to travel. And Laodicea was the richest city in this whole region. We've looked at the seven churches, and most of those places were wealthy, but this was the wealthiest of the whole lot. 
It was the main banking center in Asia Minor, and it was a commercial center in all of Asia Minor. And it was famous for its textile industry, for its cloth and clothing industry, and the surrounding countryside was famous for a breed of black-wooled sheep. And so there was all this textile industry going on as well in this particular city. As I said last week, there was a huge earthquake there in AD 70, AD 17, um, and Laodicea got damaged fairly badly, but with some help from the Roman emperor, it was rebuilt, and then it was devastated again in AD 60 by another earthquake, but this time they refused all help and aid from the Romans, and they rebuilt the city out of their own resources. And it's interesting because a Roman historian wrote, Laodicea rose from the ruins by the strength of her own resources and with no help from us. They were proud and self-sufficient and needed no one to help them from God or from man. And that was their weakness. The incredible thing about the Laodicean church, God didn't have one good thing to say about them. And that should be sobering to all of us. There's no commendations. There's no encouragement. Basically, the whole letter is basically bad news. Okay? Jesus, members came to Jesus and showed him all the churches, and he said, this is the message for the Laodicean church. Basically, that you're lukewarm because you're not hot and cold. Look out. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. In the Greek language, it means vomit, okay, or spew up. And so it's quite graphic, okay? So that's a pretty heavy word is when you get God saying, I'm going to spew you or spit you out of my mouth or vomit you up because they were lukewarm. And so no wonder Jesus said to Laodicea, to that city, you're rich and I'm increased with goods and have need of nothing. They believed money could buy them everything and the church came to the point where they even thought they could even manage without God. And so this church was in a bad state and had some serious problems because Jesus hasn't had anything positive to say about them or where they were spiritually. And the interesting thing is that Jesus was outside the church. <laughs> you see there, he was knocking on the door. We often use the scripture for non-Christians. You know, you're an evangelistic, you know, you hear that message, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart, let him come in. But this is the church. He's outside the church. It'd be like him out there banging on the door, let me in. And often we think, we read that, we think it's like Jesus is going tap, tap, just gently nudging. And it's like, I've heard it before. It's like the impression they give you is that you've just got to listen because he's tapping really lightly. But it's not in the Greek. It means that he's actually banging on the door, pounding on the door with a stick. In other words, he's desperate to get in. It was not a little wee tap, 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 please let me in. It's bang, bang, bang with a stick, pounding on the door. Let me in before it's too late because you're lukewarm. It's not a little gentle tap, 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 tap. Excuse me. Can I get your attention? He's pounding with a stick on the door of this church because he said, if you don't let me in, it's going to be too late because I'm just about going to spew you out of my mouth. I'm going to spit you out. We don't like to hear that, do we? But that's what it means when he talks about that scripture. And so it conveys the idea of a sense of urgency on Jesus' part. Respond now before it's too late. And Jesus reveals himself to this church with three names. 
which we'll look at quickly. At the beginning, he says, I am the amen. I am the faithful and true witness. And I'm the ruler of God's creation. The amen. He says, I am the amen. You notice when you go into the Gospels, when Jesus had something important to say, he used to say in the Gospel, he used to say, verily, verily, I say unto you. You've noticed that in the Gospels? Verily, verily, I say unto you. Well, that's actually word the, is the word amen. Amen. So when Jesus says, verily, verily, he's saying, amen, amen. And it means that what I'm saying is absolutely true and absolutely trustworthy. Let it be the final word, so be it. So when he says, I am the amen, it's true, it's absolute truth. Let it be the final word, so be it. So it's quite a strong thing. So he's coming to them, he says, I am the amen, so be it. I'm speaking truth to you, you better listen, because time is running out. And then he says, because Jesus is the personification of the affirmation of the truth of God. And Jesus is saying that what I'm about to say is the truth from God, and the reader cannot neglect it or reject the truth, at his, or we can reject the truth at his pearl. The faithful one, he is absolutely faithful to the truth, totally reliable, worthy of trust. He's absolutely true and indisputable. And then he says, I am the ruler of God's creation. John 1, 3, it says, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Colossians 1, 6 says, by him all things were created. In him all things hold together. He's the ruler of God's creation. Jesus is the ruler of God's creation. So he's coming with strong um, declarations of who he is because he wanted to get across to them the urgency of what he's saying to this particular church. What has God against him? Verse 6, they were lukewarm. Now we have to understand the background to get the full impact of what Jesus is saying here. The trouble with Laodicea was that they had a bit of a water problem where they were situated. There was water, but they couldn't get really good fresh water. It was just where it was, and so they had a problem. So what they did, because the Romans are pretty ingenious, 20 miles away, or 20 kilometers, the city of Coloss, you know, Colossians, well, that was a 20 kilometers away from Laodicea. And that town or city was right under the mountain. And there was snow on those mountains, and so they would have fresh, cold water come down into Coloss. And so the Romans thought, we can fix that. And so what they did, they built an aqueduct, 12 or 20 kilometers long, and they piped in water from Coloss into Laodicea. And so they could get nice, fresh, cold water because that's what they were lacking because there was no sort of natural water or spring to give them fresh water. At the other side of the city, Laodicea, the other direction, there was some hot pools about 15 kilometers the other way. There was famous hot water mineral springs which reportedly had healing properties for certain eye conditions. And so it became quite famous as a healing center. And people go there, even Cleopatra went there one stage and bathed in these hot pools and certain eye conditions, the, the minerals in the water and the hot water would help heal the eyes. And so what they did, they built another aqueduct from that place and they began to 
bring the water into Laodicea. And I imagine it would have taken a few years to build, but they built out of clay pipes, quite ingenious when you think about all those 2,000 years ago. And they had to be, um, it was all done by gravity, so they had to make sure it was like running and just on the right slope all the way. And so you can imagine the town and Laodicea were all excited because we're going to have hot water and we're going to have cold, fresh water. Because that's what they were, you know, was thinking was really lacking. And so after all those years, the whole town got excited and they got the pipes running, but it was an absolute disaster. The hot water cooled down. We fought from the hot pools along the 15k or mile journey. And because all the pipes were made of clay, the minerals in the clay came out of the pipes into the hot water and it became lukewarm. And it made the water putrid and lukewarm. And so when they tasted it, they vomited out of their mouth. They couldn't drink it. It tastes absolutely foul because all the minerals in it. And the cold water, of course, it came from the other way, from the mountains. The time it got there was also lukewarm because they'd been traveling 20 kilometers. And so it was a big letdown, okay? So they're all celebrating. Woo, look at this. And they couldn't drink it. They had to spit it out. They literally spewed it out of their mouths because it was so revolting to taste. And so there was no cold, refreshing water from the mountain. It arrived lukewarm. And there was no hot water with healing properties from the springs because it became lukewarm. It was undrinkable. It was putrid. It made you feel sick. And so Jesus then gives them this verdict. And so he knew exactly, well, they knew what he was talking about because Jesus knows all about them. He said, you're like this water to him, putrid and undrinkable. I would rather you be like the cold, refreshing water that comes from the mountains or the boiling hot water with all the healing medicinal waters from the hot springs. But because you're lukewarm, you're putrid. I cannot, it makes me sick. I want to vomit you out. And so Jesus' language is very graphic. I said, I want to spew you out or vomit you out of my mouth. And so they knew exactly what Jesus was talking about when that word came, because that was them. That's what they'd experienced. And so you can see how graphic that becomes. And Jesus says, I know you personally by observation. There's nothing I don't know about you. You're neither freezing, freezing cold, nor are you boiling, boiling hot. I wish you were refreshing, or I wish you were healing. But you're tepid, warm, and different, and you're basically good for nothing. Everything about you leaves a foul taste in my mouth, and everyone else who comes in contact with you feels the same. Your lives are meant to bring refreshing and healing to others. You're no longer refreshing. You're no longer bringing healing. You've lost something valuable over the process of time. Quite scary, isn't it? But that's how much of the Western church is like. Here were the the rich, wealthy church, but they'd lost something and they'd become tepid. As anything, I listened to a thing on YouTube, like a documentary, and they've actually, in Laodicea, they've actually excavated at the ruins the church. They found the, the original church here, and it's been excavated. It's incredible, 2,000 years old. And it's a huge, huge building. It probably covers a whole block. 
and they can tell by the just by looking at it, it was a very, very wealthy, wealthy church, just by the way it's been designed. It had mosaic tiles on the floor. You can see them still. They've dug it all up, and it was huge. And so they had lots and lots of money. They built this incredibly flash, huge church building because they had so much wealth. And so that they had lost something. And so Jesus saying, I no longer find you enjoyable to consume or hang around with. And I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth, spew you out of my mouth, just like when that water came to you, it was undrinkable, and you had to spew it out. I'm, that's what I'm going to do to you, unless you repent. Quite sobering, isn't it? Jesus was disappointed with their spiritual condition. And I wonder how many churches Jesus finds to be repulsive, even today, even though they're his church. When Jesus comes and looks at his church, how many churches did he think, I'm repulsed by that? I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Because you're supposed to be a place of refreshing. You're supposed to be a place of healing, but you're neither. You're so lukewarm, you're no good for anybody. That's where a lot of the Western church is at. In some ways, that's why I think God has allowed the coronavirus. I think it's a, it's a type of judgment because God is trying to wake up the church. You see, God loves his church so much he'll do anything he possibly can to get its attention. He'll use whatever he can because he loves his church too much. If he didn't, it means he wouldn't love us. And so sometimes he has to come and shake and allow things to come against the church to begin to wake it up. And I believe this is like a God is trying to get the attention of the church, especially in the West. He's trying to wake up the church. In verse 17, it says it, says it all there. But you look at their response. In 17, he says, You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. Wow. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Notice that. But you have said, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. There's the attitude of this particular church. In other words, they were saying, I'm self-reliant, I'm self-focused, self-centered, and self-determined. They were full of indifference and compromise towards the things of God. We, it meant we are the richest the most abundant, vast wealth, extreme riches, unlimited wealth, enormous influence. Now, God's got nothing against us being wealthy, but there are dangers when you get so wealthy that you actually turn away from God and you end up trusting in those things instead of God. And they have gotten to that place where they've become so self-sufficient, so self-centered, so, so self-focused that somehow God was no longer really in the picture. It doesn't mean they had rejected God, but their lives didn't reflect that, how they lived and what they did. They had become prideful, absolutely no need of anything whatsoever. And it didn't match the reality of how God saw them. That's the scary thing. And it reminds us of the Beatitudes, isn't it? And Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What that means is, Hilariously happy are those who are in touch with their own spiritual bankruptcy. 
That's what it means. In other words, you know your own spiritual bankruptcy. That's what the poor in spirit means. You're aware of your spiritual condition. And it means, blessed means happy, hilariously happy, because you know your spiritual condition. You know how bankrupt you are. You know how much you need God. Well, this church had become the opposite. They had no idea. They weren't even aware how bad they really were because they were doing all the right things, had a huge building, flash building, lots of money, influence in the city of Laodicea, but somehow they had lost their focus. They had become lukewarm. They would become indifferent. And then he says, he gives them this thing, and it's like, wow, that's pretty scary. He says, first of all, you're wretched. Negatively affected or calloused, they become calloused. Pitiful means the most miserable. He said, you're the most miserable. That's pretty, I don't want to be called the most miserable. Poor, it means destitute and impoverished spiritually. Blind, it describes a person who's not just lost his sight, but he has no eyes to even see. Naked completely naked. You're stripped to the core. That's pretty heavy language, isn't it, from God? It's like, man, if you got that message, you'd be going, whoa. But they didn't realize, you see, because they were so blind. They were so lukewarm, they didn't even see it. They thought they were okay. That was the deception. And in verse 18, Jesus begins to give him the answer. He said, this is how you're going to solve it. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you become rich and white clothes to wear that so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Wow. He says, I counsel you to buy. Counsel means to do something jointly with someone else. It's to counsel us to determine together. Let's you and I get together and decide what we're going to do. See, God's saying, hey, I'm, I'm for you. Let's get together. Let's sort this out. Let's get together and begin to counsel and begin to determine what we're going to do. Buy from me gold. Gold was the most valuable material that existed there. And there were lots of gold in Laodicea because it was the banking center. You could buy gold in the marketplace. Laodicea had the biggest marketplaces in all of Asia Minor. It was like you could get whatever, whatever you need to buy, you could buy in Laodicea. It was so wealthy. So all these markets, all the produce came. And so whatever you want, it was so wealthy. A bit like our Western culture. You just go down to the mall, you can buy what you want. Well, in Laodicea, it was all the gold. You can go to the stores where there's gold, and you can buy gold. And Jesus said, don't buy gold down at the store or the supermarket or the shopping mall. Come and buy gold from me. Buy from me spiritual gold. Gold that has been refined or purified in the fire. You see, the purer the gold, the more the refining process it goes through. So if you want pure gold, you, they, melt, they heat it up and they boil it up and all the impurities come to the surface. And if we know, you know, we know through the Bible it's how God works in our lives. He puts us in the fire and all the garbage comes to the surface. All the rubbish in our lives, okay? That's how he works in our lives. And he's saying, hey, come and buy gold because you need to be refined. 
and fire is to burn up the rubbish. It's a process of purification. It will burn the rubbish out of you and empower you. And I want to suggest that here what he's talking about is the refining fire of the Holy Spirit. I think he's saying, come and buy gold. You need the fire of the Holy Spirit to burn in your lives. Remember when it talks about Acts 2, you see you'll be baptized with fire and the Holy, with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And you see the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the baptism of fire as well because we need the fire to purify our lives. And so I think he's talking about that like in the terms of gold needs to be refined. You need to be refined, so you need the fire of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, come and get the fire of the Holy Spirit. Buy gold off me so you may be refined, that all the impurities, all the rubbish in your lives may be dealt with and burnt out of your life because you've become lukewarm. Then he says, buy Come and get white clothes to wear to cover your shameful nakedness. Shameful means disgrace, embarrassment, humiliation, degraded. He's saying, I don't want anyone to see your condition. He's trying to cover them. Jesus wanted to cover their sins and their shortcomings. White clothes always talk about this, the robe of righteousness. And it talks about our filthy rags, which is our self-righteousness and our sin. And he says, I want to give you white clothes. I want to give you the robe of righteousness. And I want to take one. He even takes our nakedness that he puts on us as robe of righteousness, clean white robes. He said, come to me and I'll put white robes on you. In other words, come and deal with your sin. Take off that filthy rag of your own righteousness, your own strength, your own works. Get rid of all that stuff and let me put on the robe of my righteousness because we are to be clothed with his robe of righteousness. And then he says, put salve, or get some salve to put on your eyes. Anointing oil for your eyes so you can see again clearly. Now this thing is talking about the fact that at those hot pools, there were minerals in there, and they basically became famous for like an eye salve. They made a, a like a powder or a cream. And so people would go there and they They'd make this um, powder or like a, a cream from the hot pools which had all these minerals in it, and they put it on people's eyes, and certain conditions would be healed because of this, the healing properties in that hot pool. And so Laodicea became famous for this eye salve. So they knew what he was talking about. He said, come and put the eye salve from me. In other words, anointing oil on your eyes so that you may begin to be healed, that you may see correctly because that was famous for them that they're craving the hot pools. And so he's saying, come and get my salve. In other words, ask God to open your eyes to see your real condition. Jesus saying, just as you have a medication for your eyes, I have a medication for spiritual blindness. It's the anointing of my Holy Spirit. Because you see, the thing is they were blind. They didn't even realize that was a scary thing. They had no idea the state they're in. They had no idea of their spiritual bankruptcy. That's the scary thing. That's the deception that can happen. We think we're okay. Nothing wrong with me. We've got plenty. We're, you know, we're fine. You know, we've got lots of money and we're doing well. And God says, no, no, you're spiritually blind. Your eyes need to be open. Verse 19. Those whom I love, I rebuke 
and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Because he loves us, he will discipline and rebuke us to get us back on the right track. Never despise the discipline of the Lord. Those whom I love. See, if he really loves you, and he really loves me, and he loves all of us, he will take action. He's going to take action because he loves us too much. When he looks at the Western church, remember Jesus coming back for a perfect bride. He can't leave the church like it is in the Western world. He can't come back to a church like the Western church because he loves us too much. And that means we can expect him to come and discipline us and rebuke us to bring us back to where we're supposed to be. And so that's why I tend to believe that there are difficult times coming ahead. I think we're, I think we're in a different season. I think the seasons have changed, and I think it's going to be very difficult the next few years. Why? Because God loves His church. And He's saying, I can't leave you like that. I have to come because I love you. I'm going to discipline, I'm going to rebuke you because you become lukewarm. You become so self-sufficient. You've become relied upon yourself. You've relied upon all your programs and all your meetings and your church growth principles and all that stuff. You know, you can almost build a church now without God. You know, you can go for all the, you do this. And, you know, I used to go to church growth principles. You, know, you just do this and you do that and you do this and, and you just, your church will grow. And you think, well, but where's God? Well, it doesn't matter because you do these things, they work. And that's true. It's a scary thing. You can do all that stuff and God might not even be in the house. He might be at the door trying to get in. Because we become so self-sufficient, because we depend upon those things, we think if we do all these things in our own effort and our own strength and ability and run around, that we can build the church. And God looks and says, hang on, guys, you're lukewarm. I'm, out, I'm outside, I'm trying to get in. You won't let me in because I might mess up my, your services. What happens if God really turns up, okay? Oh, we can't have that. Might mess up the service, might upset people. We don't want to upset people. People might leave. To be honest, some people probably you need to leave. I guess the case. Honest. If God really turned up here, what do you think would happen? All right? If God really turned up one Sunday morning, how many of us would go, oh, let me out of here. This is going to be crazy. Don't get too carried away. Because when God turns up, it can get messy. Things start to happen. Strange things begin to happen. <laughs> People start manifesting demons. All sorts of weird things. You see, but that's what we do because we build it on our own ability and strength and we want to do it our way. And you think of all the stuff, you know, we've done. And yet, often it's like, well, what am I actually achieving? You see, God will come and he will rebuke and he will try to bring us back on track. Those whom I love, he will take action. Because it's actually a proof of his love. Don't despise the discipline of the Lord. Rebuke means to expose, convict, to bring to the light, and convince us to take right action to change. Discipline means to teach and train children to help them into spiritual maturity. See, if you don't discipline your children when necessary, you'll not be a good parent. In actual fact, you'll be a lousy parent. 
So how much more our Heavenly Father, because he, the consequences are far more deadly. He loves us as children. We are his children. And because we are his children, he will discipline us. Embrace the discipline of the Lord. Allow him to deal with you. Allow him to come and rebuke you when necessary. Because the honest is if, if he doesn't, we just get off the, we get off the rails. We'll end up doing our own thing, our own strength. And God says, no, no, I need to come and be at the very center. And so then he says, so be earnest and repent. Earnest means to be heated, to boil, enthusiasm, fervor, passion, devotion, or an eagerness to achieve something. Repent means to change your mind, change your behavior. And he's basically saying it's time to make a decision before it's too late because I'm on the verge of coming and spitting you right out of my mouth. And then it says there, I stand at the door and knock. He's got a stick and he's banging the door. Let me in. Let me in. I remember years ago there was a, a church Someone told me they went there, and it was quite a big church. Like, oh, it might have been in Taurong or somewhere. But they had a, someone had a vision of the church. We had a vision of whether in church, and they saw the Holy Spirit, but it was outside. And he was flapping his wings, but he was trying to get in through the door, but he couldn't get in. He was outside the church. I thought, man, that's... But that's what sometimes it's like. We call ourselves God's people, but the Holy Spirit is not welcome. He's outside trying to get in. Scary, isn't it? It's time to make a decision before it's too late. Jesus is knocking at the door of our human hearts. And sometimes we... We can have a form of religion, do all the right things externally, but hearts far from him. Wealthy, with worldly stuff, but spiritually poor, and destitute on the verge of being spewed out of his mouth unless they changed. You know, when we're at the camp, we listened, we watched a movie on the Friday night last week. It's the story of Wimbrandt, you know. Most of you probably know Martyrs for Christ. Spent 14 years in a um, a prison. 14 years being tortured for Christ. And he came out still trusting and loving the Lord. But he was rich. They were rich in that prison. They would hide, hold Bible studies. They would worship by clanging their chains together. It was their worship. And every time they did a Bible study, they would come and get beaten up. And they would drag one out. They'd beat him up, bring him back in. He would sit down, and they would start again. They just kept doing it. Fourteen years, many of his friends died there. Many There was many pastors as in Romania when the communists took over after the Second World War. And, but he went 14 years. And it, but they were rich. You see... We don't like talking about it, but see, the richest church is the persecuted church. They're rich because they have nothing but Jesus. 
All that stuff's been stripped away, all the superficial stuff. And they know they need Christ if they're going to even survive. It's just Jesus and them suffering for him. And, you know, I don't know, but, you know, maybe there's this, I know there's been prophetic words about persecution coming. And I wouldn't be surprised if we're going to face persecution in the days, in the years ahead. Things can change very rapidly because that's how God purifies his church. That's how God gets his heart back for his church. That's how he becomes the very center again because all the other stuff stripped away. We don't like to talk like that because we want all these lovely, you know, lovely messages. Hey, God wants you to bless you and God's got a great plan for your life and he has. All those things might be true. But you see, you can chase all those things but end up losing who you are and what it's all about. And so don't be surprised because Jesus loves his church so much that he'll do anything he can to get their attention. We don't want it. I'm not asking for that. I'm just saying that we need to realize that we're in different times and things are changing very rapidly. Jesus stands at the door of our hearts and knocks and knocks and knocks. We have to open the door of our hearts. He wants to come and sup with him, or sup with us, sorry. A term which means abiding in intimacy with him. That word supper is a thing of intimacy. It's talking about the main meal. The main meal for Jews was at night time. And the meal took a long, long time because it was all about relationship. It was all about intimacy. And so when a family came, you spent the whole evening eating. And so he's talking about Jesus coming and supping with us, dining with us. It talks about a place of intimacy with him. And so he's looking for that place of intimacy because that's where he renews our hearts. That's where he captures our heart. And so it's a challenge for us, isn't it? Just in, and then it goes on, sorry. And this is probably the biggest reward. And this thing, all the rewards, this is the biggest one. Verse 21. It says, to him who overcomes. Overcomes what? Lukewarmness. I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne. Wow. I don't know what that even means. What is that? To sit with him on his throne? What does that look like? Because I don't think everyone's going to be sitting on the throne with him. I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne. I'm not even going to pretend what that would even look like. Just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. That's the biggest reward. In all those seven churches you look at, it's the greatest reward. To sit down with him on his throne throne. You know why? Because probably lukewarmness is one of the hardest things to overcome. It's the most deadliest thing of the whole lot. It's deadly because it kills your relationship with God. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so we have to have a Spirit to hear what the an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to us. We need to make sure that we are awake. We need to say, God, don't let me become lukewarm. And so that means we have to really seek Him. It means soul searching. It means crying out to Him. Because the church, in many cases, has fallen asleep. Especially in New Zealand. 
Indifference and apathy is the huge thing in, this, in our nation. We know that. But you see, God says, I love you too much to leave you. I'm going to come. I just want to uh, read a, find it now, Song of Solomon. I'm just going to close. And this is, um, if you know the Song of Solomon, it's about Solomon, Solomon and his lover, but it's really a type of the church, and Jesus is like the beloved. And he said, I slept, but my heart was awake. This is the beloved. This is like the church. I slept, but my heart was awake. Song of Solomon, verse, chapter 5, verse 2. I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my lover is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of night. But she doesn't respond. I've taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I've washed my feet. Must I saw them again? My lover thrust his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound for him. I arose to open for my lover. My hands dripped with myrrh. My fingers were flying with myrrh on the handles of the lock. I opened for my lover, but my lover had left. He was gone. My heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but I did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds on the city. They beat me, they bruised me, they took away my cloak, those watchmen of the wars. O daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, if you find my lover, what will you tell him? Tell him I am faint with love. It's really a story of Jesus coming, banging on the door, and she's in bed. And she doesn't want to respond. She's comfortable in her bed. She's laying down for the night and she doesn't answer. And she finally answers, he's gone. And she rushes out and he says, where's my lover? And he'd left. You see, that's the picture of what Jesus is talking about there. Jesus bangs on the door of our hearts. But you see, there's a point where if we don't respond, you can't find him. He's gone because he only waits so long. And that's the urgency of the church here in Laodicea, because he's banging and he's pounding. Let me in before it's too late. Let me in. Let me into your life before it's too late. Turn around because you become lukewarm. That's the challenge. And we need to say, God, come and awaken me. Don't let me be lukewarm. Don't let me get so caught up in the things of this life that I forget you. Because life's so busy. We can run around doing all sorts of things. And, we, you know, we have a life and, we, you know, we've got families and we've got jobs. And it's, you know, it's, our lives are full of things. And, it, you know, it's hard. But we need to realize the most important thing is Jesus. That we need to be either, he wants us either hot or cold. Hot is to do with healing. You see, we're meant to bring healing to people. Cold means you're being refreshing. Are you refreshing waters to other people? That's what he's looking for. If we're not a place for healing and not a place of refreshing, what are we about? It's where people can come and drink. But if we become lukewarm, it gets spewed out. It tastes foul. It doesn't taste nice. Nobody wants to be a part of that. I could go on. 
I feel a bit lost this morning. Don't know. I feel like a bit under attack here. But anyway, let's all stand, shall we? It's weird, eh? Got thrown off by this thing. Smash it. <laughs> Throw it down. No. Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, I pray that you would examine our hearts, Lord. And you see, it's a funny thing because it's not something we can do. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not about treating it. You can't pump this thing up. You know, sometimes you want to pump people up. It's not about pumping you up. It's not, come on, let's get fired up. It's not that. It's, it's got to be a work of the Spirit. You know what I mean? Otherwise, it just becomes a whole lot of hype and striving. It's not something we can actually make happen. But it's fact that we just become and say, God, here I am. I know, I realize that I'm lukewarm. I'm not hot or I'm not cold. I need you to touch my heart afresh. And I think that's what it is about. The Holy Spirit needs to come with fresh fire. We need to go and buy gold with him. Be refined in the fire. We need to say, God, I need fresh fire on my heart. I need the fresh fire of the Holy Spirit. I need you to come because... Only you can awaken my heart. And I love that scripture, and I always keep saying it in Psalms and the Passion Translation. Each and every sunrise, I lay my requests before you. I lay the pieces of my life upon the altar, and I wait for your fire to fall afresh. I love that verse in the Passion Translation. See, we need fresh fire in our hearts to awaken us. It's not running around here and trying to make something happen. But we need to recognize that much of the church is lukewarm. And it's disgusting in the taste of the Lord. He looks at I, I, unless you change, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rebuke you. I'm going to spew you out because it tastes revolting. It's no good. I'm going to either be really cold or really hot. Refreshing and healing. And I think, you know, this morning I... There's that word that Froley had. If you've got lumps, we don't want to embarrass you, but if you've got a lump somewhere, we're going to pray for you. Froley wants to pray for you. Is there any other words of knowledge before you? I've got something else to do, but just... Yeah, I just saw this morning, um, if anyone has impaired vision, or just someone with blurred vision, if that's anyone. But also um, ongoing stomach problems or, you know, problems with your bowels, I'd love to pray for you. So if that's anyone. And what I felt to do is I want to really, um, I want to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit again. Because I think some of you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we we talked about this before, and, and you know, there wasn't much a response, but you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, you need the Holy Spirit because that's the Holy Spirit opens your eyes. The Holy Spirit brings the fire that you need. And some of you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And you might think, well, what is that? Well, it's just the Holy Spirit comes and fills you, overflows you. And I think for me, I'm quite convinced of this. One of the evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is that you speak in other tongues. If you don't speak in other tongues, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because that's, there's no power without it. You see, if we don't talk about that, we lose the power because the power is in the Holy Spirit. He's the one that ministers the kingdom. 
And so if you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I want to pray for you again, okay? We'll pray for you and believe God to come and touch you afresh. You need fresh fire. Maybe you're lukewarm. We just want to pray for you, okay? And all you need is say, God, forgive me. All he says, repent, come to God, and say, God, put me on fire again for you. You got something, Sheila? Yeah, I'm not sure if this was for somebody, but um, I just wondered if anybody has been, um, like, harassed or attacked in their sleep. Some kind of demonic attack, like nightmares or night terrors. Anyone, anyone there? Anyone getting attacked at night with nightmares? Anybody? Oh, yeah. Birth. Okay. Maybe some people go around birth. You want to, can we pray for you, Bertha? Is that okay? Maybe a few ladies can gather around Bertha, okay? Just minister to Bertha. Okay, so if you want to respond to that stuff, come for any lumps. Okay, we're going to have lunch in about probably half an hour, so yeah, lumps here. Yeah. But if you want to buy food, go and buy food. But otherwise, we're going to pray for it. Uh, does anyone want to give their heart to Jesus? I'm sorry, I should have asked that. <laughs> That's the most important thing. Isn't it? If you haven't given your life to Jesus, you need to give your life to Jesus. Invite him into your heart and your life, and he begins to transform you and change you. But if you want prayer this morning, 